I'm getting there. Um, just ask uh, everybody just to be still for just a second. You can kind of hear the outside, but we've got a handful, a handful, we've got large handfuls of students over there. We've got an even larger group of children out there. But right now, just want you to listen because several of you are going to get to spend the next hour or so without somebody saying, Mommy, 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 Daddy, 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 Mommy, Daddy, Mommy. Nana, 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 Nana. It's part of the reason we do Wednesday nights. It's just to kind of have a, a break in the middle of the week. You've been answering the phone. You've been answering emails. You've been going bonkers all week long. And our desire is to give uh, just a bit of reprieve. We've got a wonderful group of servant leaders over there keeping our kids focused on the Lord. We've got an incredible group of servant leaders over here leading our students so that we could also be in here and, and be lifting them up as well as learning a little bit too. But I want us to make sure that we don't just get stuck at our little tables and forget to invite other people to experience the same little bit of a reprieve because the community out there needs it as well. But just kind of take that couple of seconds. Nobody's hanging on your leg. Nobody's calling you, hopefully. It's just us and the Lord. So let's dive into his word. A um, couple of announcements just to let you know. We, um, as of this, as of dinner tonight, uh, we have 173 children signed up for Vacation Bible School. Um, that's a wonderful nightmare. Um, um, that said, we are already having to birth a first grade class. We're having to birth a second grade class. And we're probably going to have to birth... Uh, a kindergarten class and another preschool class, which means we need even more help. So if you know somebody who's willing to help serve, um, we just want to keep the, the classes numerically manageable so that we can have an impact. It's, there's a difference in herding cats and actually teaching children. And we don't want it to be, uh, we don't want our goal for the week to make sure that they're alive at the end of every day. That's a noble goal, and we do want to accomplish that. But we want them to walk away with something, and it's easier when we can keep the classes manageable. Secondly, uh, this Sunday, Karen and I, during the Bible Fellowship Hour, uh, Karen and I will be doing some evangelism training, uh, how to share the gospel, how to share your faith, uh, just some basics and fundamentals. Every now and then, we kind of need that shot in the arm, uh, reminding us how to do that and, and, and how to be ready to do that. So that's going to be at 915 We'll start with breakfast. I told the senior adults this morning, when I say the word breakfast, most people hear bacon, eggs, biscuits, and gravy, which I had for lunch today. But when I say, don when I say breakfast, I usually mean donuts. And so uh, there will be something here to provide you some level of sustenance, I promise you. And then on Sunday, June the 6th, uh, Sunday, June the 6th, uh, I'm going to be teaching our encounter class, uh, which is our class for when people have questions about who we are at FBI, what we believe, uh, what we stand for, what 
what our mission is, as well as uh, people who want to go the next step and become a member. A lot of people have questions about what is the purpose of membership, what does that mean, and I'll talk about all that then. So if that's you and you're interested in, in learning more about our church or perhaps becoming a member, uh, just register for that luncheon. You can go online. You can let Karen or any of our staff know. Uh, we'll have lunch and we'll have child care available uh, if that's you. So just want to put those three, three things in front of you. Uh, we are looking at two books tonight uh, because they correlate uh, from a timeline standpoint. We're going to be looking at Second uh, Samuel and First Chronicles, but I want to provide a couple of reminders from last week. First uh, and Second Samuel are actually one book. Uh, they are telling one, it's one narrative that tells a complete story. Uh, and it really focuses, while there are six what we would consider main characters, there's, there's really um, one character that stands out above all the other characters. No disrespect towards God the Father or God the Son, but David is really the the consequential character, uh, quintessential character of the books First and Second Samuel, again, which is one big narrative. If there was a theme uh, that runs all the way through First and Second Samuel, it would be leadership. Uh, it, is, it is two books that really define leadership from the timetable of leadership. We know we really start with Abraham. Abraham uh, kind of leans into Moses. Moses then passes the mantle quite literally to Joshua. And then we enter the time of the judges. Ruth falls into that category. So the whole book is about leadership, and that's where I want to pause. And we're going to do things a little bit differently tonight. I'm going to try to integrate, uh, kind of bounce back and forth a little bit. But I'd like whoever is your table host leader, your, your, your leader at the tables, if y'all would go ahead and do prayer emphasis number one together. Prayer emphasis number one, and then we'll, I'll wrap it up in a few minutes, and then we'll keep moving forward. But prayer emphasis number one, with the idea, the underlying theme of First and Second Samuel being leadership, would you just dive into prayer emphasis number one. On your mark, get set, go.
Father, we do lift up those that you have placed in authority over us. Lord, we pray for president, vice president, Congress. We pray for our local authorities. We pray for our state authorities, our governor. We pray for our first responders, Lord, our service people. Lord, pray for the teachers and the staff and the administration of our schools as they wind up this school year, this very odd school year. Lord, I pray that they would you enable would enable them to finish strong and with grace. And Father, you would allow this summer to be one that revives and rejuvenates them. Father, I pray not only for our church, but I pray for other churches in the area that we would, in some measure, to some degree, adopt these schools and love on them in some way, shape, form, or fashion so that they know we are here for them. And Lord, I pray for this, your church. I pray that you would hold us close as the staff, that we would listen to you and only do what you direct us. We ask this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're looking at a timeline of events, uh, Hannah gives birth to Samuel. Samuel anoints Saul as king. Um, and then Saul's decisions uh, carry consequences. And, and the Lord rejects Saul as the, as the king uh, and then places that anointing on David. And David begins his journey. If you have um, from last, you may have had last week's uh, little... Um, I uh, lost mine somewhere here. Um, but it's the diagram that kind of looks like an arrow. It's at the top, it starts birth of Samuel. I filled in some for you tonight, but let me start uh, with number nine for you this evening. As you're kind of diagramming uh, the books of Samuel, it starts off with the birth of Samuel, the corruption of Eli's house, the exile and the return of the ark, Saul's rise, Saul's fall. David is actually serving in Saul's house for a season. Uh, and then you have this Saul versus David kind of thing going on. And then... Uh, in 1 Samuel 28 through second, the beginning of 2 Samuel, it is the death of Saul, Saul's death, which then transition, transitions into number 9, which is in second, starts in 2 Samuel chapter 2. You have this house of Saul versus house of David time period, where David is not necessarily the king quite yet, at least as far as the people go. They're already following him. The anointing is already on him, but he's not taken the official title and status of king. And so you still have the followers of Saul kind of competing with or, or fighting really the, the, the followers of David. And that's what starts to happen right after Saul's death. And then number 10, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5, you have this confirmation of David as king. David is finally king. Uh, God anoints him in front of the people. The people publicly declare David is king. But then in number 11, in second, between 2 Samuel 10 through 12, you have David's fall, uh, which we'll talk about in just a few minutes. But you have this uh, incredible uh, collapse of David's integrity, uh, and you have David's fall. We won't go into it a lot, but in number 12, which is 2 Samuel 13 through 15, you have Absalom's rise. Absalom, A-B-S-A-L-O-M. A-B-S-A-L-O-M. Absalom's rise. Absalom is one of David's. Uh, and there is a um, 
there is an uprising against David by his sons, partly because of David's sin, um, but we'll talk a little bit about that. In 13, number 13, which is 2 Samuel 15 through 19, you have the exile and the return of David. Uh, David is kind of running away uh, to, to save his own life uh, as his children are rising up against him. Uh, and then you have the exile and the return of David. In chapter 20, uh, which is number 14, you have just, just write the word Sheba. Uh, and this character enters the, the, the storyline, uh, and then you have the true king in number 15, 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 24, which we'll talk about uh, in just a moment. If you break it down, and that's what we're going to do tonight, just to give you that overview, if you break it down, if you'll turn it on the other side with, with, this, with the fill in the blanks there, Second, 1 Samuel chapter 28 through 2 Samuel chapter 7 is all about David unites the people. David unites the people. Uh, Saul's leadership has led to a division in the nation. Saul's leadership style has led to a, a, a number of factions and a number of no-confidence votes, for lack of a better way of saying it. And it, the whole story of Saul and David, Saul versus David, really starts off with the country divided against itself. Uh, and then there is this transition of power and a th the throne from Saul to David. And it's not a typical, uh, okay, I'm now, you're now the king, I'm not anymore. It's not that transition of power that we should be somewhat accustomed to here in our country. Uh, it is very chaotic. It is very mismanaged. Um, but that is what happens. But David does assume the throne. Uh, and he, the first thing he really does is, is he starts, he moves the ark. He's going to move the ark and he's going to, and that's where the story, I don't know if you recall the story of they're moving the ark and it kind of gets kind of tipsy and the one guy reaches out to, to kind of stabilize it and the God strikes him dead because he's not supposed to touch the ark and everybody is so offended that, you know, the God strikes him dead. But it's the idea of, of, of holiness that goes with that story and you can look it up and I want to focus right there. But he's, David is moving the ark because David is establishing a new capital city. David is moving, and while he's, what he's doing is not really establishing just a new capital city. He is establishing a new center, a new focal point for the nation of Israel, for where they are going to gather together as a people, where they're going to come and worship, where God is going to be the center and the main uh, attraction, if you will, of his people. And what happens is David is uniting the people. He is beginning a new dynasty. He is establishing a new legacy. And legacy is really one of those words that we'll get to in a little while. And that, that is really the whole point of Second um, Samuel as well as First Chronicles. Again, these are two books that it's not that they parallel necessarily, but Chronicles is going to overlap First and Second Samuel as Second Chronicles is going to begin to overlap First and Second Kings, which, uh, which Tony is going to get into in the next couple of weeks. What I'd like you to do is table hosts, uh, table leavers, if you will look at question number one, question number one on your mark, get set, you're going to read Second Samuel chapter seven, and then you're going to answer a couple of questions. On your mark, get set, question number one.
All right, how is this like any other conversations that, that the Lord has had with his servants? Who else, who else has God had a conversation with like, like this in the past? Abraham, Isaac. What is, the, what is God doing when he's talking with these specific individuals? What, am I, what are we referring to? We're referring to the word covenant. He's making a covenant with them, letting them know that he has pretty eternal plans and they're a part of his plan. They are a, they are a spoke in the wheel. They're going to keep things moving along. So he's talking to David and he's, in some senses he's letting him know that Solomon's really going to be the one that's going to be building the temple. But what he's saying is, I'm going to establish your house forever. David, I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep working, and it's going to be through your line. It's the same, very. It's different words, and it's a different context. But it's the same message that he gave to Abraham. It's the same message that he gave to Isaac. It's the same message that he gave to Jacob. That something incredible was going to happen through them if they were faithful. And God, what God is saying is, I'm going to be faithful. You're going to experience that if you are as well. So David starts out by uniting the country. He brings this divided nation together. And then what he does, the next fill in the blank, is David expands the borders. David expands the borders. He starts taking territory. David is kind of all the leadership wrapped up in one. He is a military leader. He is a visionary. He's, he's an incredible leader because he's a follower. He hears the Lord and he moves where the Lord sends him to go. But David also has this ability, and you see it all through 1 Samuel. David has this, we talked last week, we, well, the definition of a leader. The definition of a leader, the basic definition is people are following you. If, if you think you're a leader and there's nobody following you, you're really just out for a walk. I mean, that's the, that's the primary you know, mistake people make oftentimes. David has this natural and supernatural ability. He's sort of a pied piper. People just acclimate to him. We'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment. They, they commit themselves to him. But what happens, David starts defeating his enemies, and then he starts organizing the kingdom. Turn to chapter 8 real quick. Chapter 8 real quick. And then you're going to look at question number two, table leaders. So David reigned over all Israel, administering justice and righteousness for all his people. When you read any of these, make sure you don't miss the nuggets. There are sometimes we just gloss over stuff because we're reading, especially in narratives. This is a huge line. David reigned over all Israel, administering justice and righteousness for all his people people. That verse is directly tied to the verse right above it. The verse right above it should say, the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. I'm in, I'm in 2 Samuel chapter 8. Am I right? Does it say the Lord made David? Is that what it says? I'm sorry. I'm in verse... 14, and it should, I mean, 15, so David reigned over all Israel, sorry about that, so David reigned over all Israel, administering justice, the verse before it should say, the Lord made David victorious, it does, wherever he went, those two are, are, are compatible when you're reading it, in other words, the Lord made David victorious, part of it was because David is administering justice and righteousness, whose justice, whose righteousness, God's. Not his own, like you will see Saul attempt to do in 1 Samuel, but David is administering the Lord's righteousness and the Lord's justice. And here's what happens. Keep reading in verse 16. 
Sorry, I'll be try to communicate. I'm a communicator. Joab, son of Zariah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilad, was court historian. Zadok, son of Ahidab, and Ahimelech, son of Abitar, were priests. Sarai was court secretary. Benaiah, son of Jehida, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were chief officials. Now, if you can get past all the names that I could not have pronounced correctly right there to save my life, what do you see happening? You see an organizational system taking place. Look at question number two and just talk about that amongst yourselves for a minute.
so the nation has been divided. The nation has been, been cut off from each other. There's been factions. David has spent the first part of his tenure as king uniting the nation. And then he spends the next step is, is organizing it. What is the value of order and organization, even in a spirit-filled life? And I phrase that question very specifically. What's the value of order and organization in a spirit-filled life? You're more effective. Why? Because you're in balance. You're in balance. Okay. Absolutely. There's a greater confidence because you're building off of a foundation. What's the danger of being so of being too focused on order and organization? You're inflexible. You don't have margin for ministry. You can be, I think another word that we, we, we sometimes don't want to say is you can become too legalistic. That's why I said that, that there is a balance of order and organization in a spirit-filled life. Uh, we're, in, we're in chapter 8, just two chapters ago with the return of the ark, David started dancing through the streets until his clothes came off. I don't know that that had a lot of org- order or organization to it whatsoever, but it was spirit-filled. You know, now I'm not saying that's going to happen this Sunday because it's not. I can guarantee you that. Nobody needs to see that. You're welcome. That's my gift to you. It'll be a continual gift to you. But there is a, there is a balance. We need to be spirit-filled. I've all, often told folks, I can, I can be flexible if I have something to be flexible off of. Meaning, I can deviate from the plan, but, I, but the plan needs to be my starting point. We, can't, we don't just come here Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday. You know, Scott, Scott doesn't walk up here at 629 and going, okay, I think I need to do this song. You know, he's thought about that. We don't, we don't think, well, maybe you do, I don't know. You're pulling it off really good. Um, but we, you know, I don't, I try not to. There have been a couple of times, and I mean, I can count them on one hand, where I got up to speak in front of a group, and I put my sermon down, and I did exactly. But normally, I'll go with the plan. Now, I'll deviate from that plan a number of times. But Tony, Tony, you preach. You normally go up, normally go up with a plan. I can, but I can deviate from that plan. But normally, I can't accomplish a lot if I don't have a plan in the first place. And what, so what David is doing is incredibly strategic, not just for his reign and his dynasty, but you're going to see it for years and years to come. Make no mistake, the things that are happening right now started way back then. Okay, that's what's happening. Let's keep looking real quick. So he defeats, he's expanding his borders. He defeats his enemies. He's organizing the kingdom. But then he does something else in this section. He honors Mephibosheth. I don't think I said that. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Practice saying that a couple of times. All right, question number three, table hosts. Question number three. Read it and then answer the question. On your mark, set, go.
This is one of my absolute favorite stories in all of scripture, even though I can't pronounce his name, saved my life. 
And it's, you got to have a little bit of context because you got to go to 1 Samuel and, and read the, the relationship between Jonathan and David. And you have this incredible, uh, this incredible friendship that, that God puts into motion of a kind of an unlikely duo. Uh, you have Saul's son, Jonathan, who should be inheriting the throne, uh, becoming best friends with David to the point that he, he really sacrifices it all because he recognizes what God is doing. And then in the midst of these battles and all that God, at, at, that God is doing and David is doing, uh, he recognizes there might be a family member left, and it's this cripple. Uh, it's this crippled son named Mephibosheth. Uh, what, what is, before I interject, what does this story teach us? What, what, what do you get from this, from this story? Promises. Keep your promises. Back in First uh, Samuel chapter twenty, I think it is, is when um, when when David promises Jonathan, Jonathan promises David that they will take care of the future generations as long as they can. So there's a there's a level of keeping your promises here. What else? What else speaks to you from this story? Generosity, Generosity. kindness. He he doesn't. I mean, he has to if he's going to keep his word. But he's the king, and this is technically the enemy's you know, the enemy's lineage. He could kind of wipe him out if he wants to. What else grabs you out of this story? Anything? We were talking about humility. Okay. Uh, just in the sense that, um, you know, David knew his anointing was from the Lord. You know, it was something that he did to earn it. And, and honoring Saul's family, he just continued to show that humility of honoring the Lord first by honoring others that God had put into leadership. Absolutely. Hold him right here, and then I'll come over here. It's just kind of grace. I mean, it was common in those days to uh, exterminate the family of your Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And yet uh, David wants to show kindness to Saul. Absolutely. Which, again, takes us back to this level of humility. He's the king. And not only is he the king, but he's the king who has the anointing. I mean, God has put him into this place. Heidi? On your neighbor. I mean, he's just, he's just loving, loving on somebody. One of the things that I absolutely, I'm going to just read straight up what I wrote. The Old Testament is filled with stories that help us understand God's love and care. The story of, Mephi <laughs> the story of Mephibosheth is one such example. David had pledged his faithfulness to the descendants of Jonathan and demonstrated his commitment to his promises by taking this lame young man and allowing him to feast at the king's table. God does the same for his children. Based on the promises he made to our forefathers, he shows kindness to us, even though we are broken and made lame by sin. And he takes us and he elevates us to positions of honor and being a part of his family. Here's what blows me away by this. What is David doing in this section? David is uniting the nation. David is putting structure into this government, this factioned place, and then he takes the time to focus on this one crippled young man. He stops everything he's doing as he is rearranging the world, so to speak, and he takes care of this boy and fulfills a promise. As big as this world is, 
as, as much as, as he has things going on in the Middle East and all around the world, God looks at Tony and he says, Tony, I, I care about what's going on at work. He looks at Katie and he says, Katie, I care about your family and I care about your kids. He says, Kathy, I, I, I know what's going on and I want you to know I'm walking this, this road with you. In the midst of this great big world, he knows us by name and he cares enough to be intimately involved in our lives. We are the Mephibosheth. Wow. Table leaders, if you'll look at prayer emphasis number two and take some time and pray together. Prayer emphasis number two.
I'm going to ask Tony if he'll offer a word of thanks on our behalf for all that the Lord does for us. Just thank the Lord for us. Father of love and mercy, Lord, we're grateful, Lord, that you go before us. Lord, we're grateful that you make a way for us. Father, we're grateful for the doors that you open. You are so good. As we prayed at our table and we were reminded of the uh, 220 prayer of our house and how we're grateful for uh, the, that our physical house that you've placed over our heads, Lord, and that you give us a cool place to stay, a cold place to stay when it's hot outside and a hot place to stay when, when it's cold outside. And we have this house of worship here on, the, on this beautiful beach. And we're just grateful, Lord, that you do all these things for us. And Father, we just pray that we use them to glorify you and to share your word and that our houses become houses of ministry. We praise you, we glorify you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. When you look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, and you're going, 2 Samuel, so David David unites the nation, David expands the borders, but then in 2 Samuel 11 through 20, you have this situation where David, David disobeys, but he also repents. And this is just one of the most beautiful pictures in all of Scripture. But I want to summarize the story real quick. Uh, it's probably a story you're somewhat familiar with if, if you have a church background or possibly even if you don't, you've probably heard someone tell the story of David and Bathsheba. And David basically sleeps with another man's wife. She gets pregnant and then he, then he not to be spoiler here, read it for yourself, but then he, he basically murders the man uh, that is the husband to the woman that he slept with. Um, but, but the real, you know, my dad taught me a long time ago that, that there is, there's always a first domino that falls. That we don't usually wake up one morning and decide to murder somebody. We don't usually wake up one morning and decide to become addicted. We don't wake up one morning and decide to sleep with somebody else's wife. There's always a first something. Look at the very first verse of chapter 11. In the spring, when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. We got David's first sin right here. In the spring, when kings march out to war, David sent. David's not where David's supposed to be. I don't know about you, but more often than not, when I was a teenager, I didn't, now I didn't get in trouble for a lot. My brother did, and I watched my brother, and I saw where the line was, and I didn't go very far past it if I went to it at all. But I learned that more often than not, what I got in trouble for could have been caught way ahead of time if I had just been where I was supposed to be. You ever been not where you're supposed to be? <laughs> I thought I saw some people nodding while I was talking. But this is what happens, and when David's not where he's supposed to be, which means somewhere along the line, David's got a little comfortable with his position. And he's forgotten who gave him the position. He's forgotten why he's in the position. And he's not doing the things that he's supposed to be doing, which means he's not going to the places. And then begins this domino effect, and the dominoes begin to fall. And, and David sleeps with this woman named Bathsheba, who is the wife of Uriah. He ends up discovering that she's pregnant, and then he sends Uriah to the front of the battle and then tells, all, tells the, the guys in charge to then leave him there. 
just send him out front and then leave him because then he'll surely die. And it's this whole story. I've left some of it out because you need to read through it because it's a fascinating story. But then Nathan the prophet goes to, goes to David and he confronts him about his sin. Now, this isn't something that we do very well. We don't, we don't confront people about their sin anymore. We, we leave that to the pastor and that's just awesome. Those are super fun conversations to have. But, what ha- but here's the deal. So, uh, you know, I've got, I've got men in my life, including the elders here, including some friends that I've made here, but also have three men in my life who call me at random times and they will quiz me. What are you doing? Are you doing this? Have you done this? How's this going? And they have the right to confront me. I've had people in my life confront me about the sin in my life. And no, those are not super fun conversations, but I love being on the other end of them. I love being more like Christ after I figured out. Sometimes, most often, I've, I've done something that I've not realized. And I have the opportunity to apologize. I have the opportunity to repent. Nathan goes to, to David and he puts this scenario in front of him and it just makes David mad. I mean, this whole story, just, it just fires David up. And Nathan looks at David and goes, this is you. The story that I just told you, this is you. And the result of this whole story is Psalm 51. Keep your place in 2 Samuel, but turn to Psalm 51 and have somebody at your table read it. Just have somebody at your table read it and hear David's heart. You don't have to answer the question, but just listen as somebody else reads it and then we'll keep moving forward. Just somebody read it aloud for your table and then we'll move forward. Psalm 51, which is David's response to Nathan's confrontation.
So there is no way that I'm going to finish tonight. But that's fine. And I'm going a little bit off script here, but we already said that that was okay. What, what book of the Bible are we studying tonight? Saying Samuel. We're technically tying in First Chronicles because it chronicles this journey. But we're in Second Samuel. We're, we're in Second Samuel. Does anybody know what First Samuel chapter 13 verse 14 says? Do not turn there. Does anybody just randomly know what First Samuel chapter 13 verse 14 says? God is talking to Saul through Samuel. And he says, I have rejected you. The Lord has rejected you because the Lord has found a man after his own heart. When does the sin happen? The sin just happened in 2 Samuel. What did he call him in 1 Samuel? God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. God knew the sin was going to happen, and yet he still called him. He still dubbed him. He still, kinda, he still let him know that he was a man after his own heart. But, then, but he said that about him, knowing he was going to have this incredible failure. And he included it in the story that we know about him. Why? Two reasons. Number one, it humanizes David for us. We don't have this, we, we, don't, we don't have the king of kings yet. We have an incredible king. We have an anointed king, but we still have somebody who is clearly a man. Somebody who is clearly fail. Somebody who clearly has flaws. Somebody who clearly is human. But we also, secondly, we also have this incredible example of sin and repentance. I have, I have, I, you may not know this about me, but I am a sinner. Yes, thank you, Bob, for being surprised, whether that was fake or not. And there have been countless times where I have gone to this passage of Scripture. That's one of the reasons we're going to be diving into the Psalms over the next several summers, because sometimes the Psalms are already anointed by God. Why wouldn't I pray the Psalms to God to express my heart? But one of, the, one of the passages that you just read was, restore to me the joy. We, re, we quote this wrong all the time. Often we will stay re, say, restore to me the joy of my salvation, and that is the wrong possessive pronoun. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Who is the one that does the saving? It is not me. I love being your pastor. I love opening up God's word. I love setting vision. I love walking hand in hand and doing life with you, but I did not and cannot and could not have died on a cross for you. It is not my salvation. It is his salvation that he offers to me. And David is saying, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against you alone. And now you are restoring to me the joy of your, the joy. I'm not restoring the salvation. The salvation never left him. I'm restoring to you the joy of your salvation. And there, but there are consequences for David's sins. Let me fill in the blanks really quick. Basically, the next blank is David concludes his reign. David concludes his reign. And I would encourage you to, to read the whole thing, but you're going to see David's going to do this listing in one of the chapters that he calls David's Mighty Men. And it's in just this incredible testimony of the friends in David's life. 
These, these soldiers that come alongside him and they, they never abandon him. They never, they never walk away and they help him conclude his reign. And then I've already said that the first Chronicles is about David's legacy. It's about David's legacy. I'd like you to look at either number four or number five, and I'd like you to spend the next several minutes praying for, for our church as we seek God's direction. But also, I'd ask that you pray for revival, just with the time that we have left tonight. I am, as we are praying, I'm glad, thank you, Tony, for mentioning the 220. I love getting that little beep every day at 220. It reminds me, I just find myself stopping and I pray. I'm asking the Lord, and what I find myself praying for, whether it's like today was the house, thanking God for my home, thanking God for my house, but I found myself thanking God for other people's houses as well. Homes that I've been invited to, had a chance to just watch and play and be friends with folks, and then I just found myself every day, somehow my prayer ends up at revival. Lord, do something beachside where your Holy Spirit runs free. And start it with us. I'm so selfish. I mean, I want other churches to experience it too, but I want it to start here. That's like godly selfishness. So I'm going to ask you to pray, and then just a minute, I'm going to ask Katie Gallo to close us all in a word of prayer, if you're all right with that. So pray together as a table, but pray for revival, and pray that the Lord would lead our church, and then we'll close in just a few minutes. On your mark, get set, go.
as 2 Samuel comes to a conclusion, David is buying a field so that he can build an altar, so that he can ultimately build the temple, which he won't build, but he's... And then he says, I don't want to build something that doesn't cost me anything. He's willing to make the sacrifice so that he can provide the very best for his God. Katie, would you just close us out this evening by letting the Lord know we're ready to give our very best. Lord, we thank you for the life of David and the things that we can glean. God, as uh, you put him into leadership and he was a man that was very imperfect, but that your power worked through him. And Lord, we desire to have hearts after you, that that would be, we would be recognized as a people, as a church, as lovers of you, God, first, that um, our desire would be to please you in all that we do and all that we say and the way that we represent you. We do pray for all that you are building, God, that um, you get all the glory. Father, our, our arms are open, um, our spirits are willing, and we desire, God, for um, to serve you and for you to be glorified in this place and in this community. And we just pray that you would honor that. And uh, we just, we give it all to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.